Well, folks, Feast Week is getting gobbled up, and we have a ton of fantastic games to discuss today while also predicting some potential upsets that could happen over the weekend. You are Locked On College Basketball, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is up? Welcome to the Locked On College Basketball Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host, Andy Patton, and today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, more odds, and more lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. All right, Leaf, what an incredible game of MTEs, an incredible feast week for college basketball so far. We're only partway through it. We haven't even seen PK85 games get going yet, but Maui gave us some just incredible games. Uh, and we the Creighton Arkansas game, the San Diego State Arizona game, absolutely incredible. Leaf, I want to start with the Creighton Arkansas game because not only did it look like there was like some somewhere between eight and ten NBA players playing in this basketball game, but it was just a high level affair from start to finish. I would love to hear your initial reactions from that game. Yeah, I thought that both these teams, you know, were nine and ten entering entering mm-hmm. the AP poll, stayed at nine and ten in the second week of the AP poll. And I think you could see that both teams had the capacity to be final four teams. I wouldn't say it was a final four quality Mm -hmm. of game in terms of just like the X's and O's and and in terms of the pace, like, because there weren't that many tactical adjustments, but in terms of the competition level, the energy, the scoring ability uh, and and the ability to, to kind of win spurts of play. Like Arkansas was being outplayed in the first half, cut, cut the deficit before half came out guns a blazing in the second half. And you're like, man, imagine when this team gets Nick Smith back. Okay, that's a Final Four caliber team, or at least Elite Eight. And then, mm-hmm. of course, let's talk about the team that won it. That was Creighton. Creighton yeah. has all the weapons. Everyone knew that. Were they able to generate stops? And I think when it mattered most, they they were able to dig deep and get a few stops, and they were able to be the better overall team in the first half by a margin that was wider than the second half Arkansas victory, both in terms of points and in terms of you know execution and caliber of play. And you you kind of see how Creighton's meshing. My question was, okay, how do you incorporate someone like Baylor Shireman to a team mm-hmm. that already had a few ball-dominant players? Nemhard was phenomenal. Trey yeah. Alexander is a really good two-way player. Cal Brenner, for a while, didn't miss a shot. Mm-hmm. And, and like Not only in that game, but but just overall in this season, he's shooting close to 80% from the field. And then Arthur Kaluma, I didn't think, played very well. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there's going to be moving pieces, but you could see just so easily – well, now you got the Creighton of old with like long bomb shooting threes, yeah. and you got this physical athletic team. And so, yeah, that was an awesome game, 90-87. Maui's known for some high-scoring games, and the yeah. pace and athleticism on the court was was amazing. I was sticking with Creighton before we, before we move on and talk a little bit more about Arkansas. Uh, I, this backcourt just looked phenomenal. It looked like they've been playing together forever in this game. We saw Shireman and Nembhard combined to go six for nine from deep. They went 13 of 16 from the free throw line. Like these two guys combined to score 45 points. Of course, Kalkbrenner had 21 as well. Just a, a phenomenal performance from this backcourt. The only thing you mentioned, Kaluma didn't play all that well. Stands to reason he's likely going to get better as the season goes on. But to me, the only thing that I, you would nitpick about this uh, kind of performance, at least from watching the game, looking at the box score, three points from the bench, like not a ton of depth for this team, at least that didn't show up in this game. I think better days are ahead for Kaluma, certainly. Uh, but when you only get three points from your bench, when you get 90 or at least, I guess, 87 from your starting five, you know, you're not going to complain too many times. But I, I wonder how much that depth could eventually impact this team in March. 
Yeah, that's a good point. That I think they're expecting a big leap from Mason Miller, son yeah. of Mike Miller. Yeah. Um, King Jr. off the bench is a solid big, but he's no Ryan mm-hmm. Kalkbrenner. And then um, Francisco Farabella played on the TCU team that, yeah. that gave Arizona all they could handle. And, and, you know, I don't expect big things necessarily, mm-hmm. um, but, but you do expect more than three points in a 40-minute game. Yeah, um, And the one, one more question I'll, I'll turn over to you is, when you watch a team like that, and they've mm-hmm. got a lot of players scoring well, and it mm-hmm. wasn't necessarily like, okay, they need a bucket right here. Like, who yeah. are they going to go to? It never felt like that while watching the game. It was just kind of like, let's push the pace and get a good shot. And mm-hmm. in a way, I find that really appealing because it's egalitarian. It's mm-hmm. it's uh, it's fun. It's entertaining. It's aesthetically pleasing. Who mm-hmm. do you think becomes the guy they get a bucket with late? And, and I think there's three or four plausible answers, but I think that's mm-hmm. a – question that needs to be answered at some point for me yeah it's, it's an interesting question uh because i you could argue that they could have it be more egalitarian and have it be a situation where it's it's one or the other but when you get down to the ncw tournament when you get down to like like i think about like some of the best teams we've seen in the last couple of years uh, a lot of those teams did have multiple scores you think about like that 21 gonzaga team or that 21 baylor team both those squads had like multiple guys but at the end of the day like you knew jalen suggs was taking the last shot you know and you you know and so like you want to be able to find a guy like that. For me, it's probably Ryan Nemhart. I think he's the most likely candidate. Uh, I, I I think Shireman could eventually be that guy. I think it's possible he ends up taking over that kind of a role. I, I Before the season, I would have said Nemhart. I'm still sticking with Nemhart, but watching the way that Shireman looked just so seamlessly adapted to that offense uh, for the Blue Jays, I, I think he's got a, a real chance at it. And then it obviously is matchup specific, but there's a there's a real case for it to be Kalkbrenner too, depending on what you need. If you need a quick two, uh, if, if he's got a matchup that, that you like, you just go get him the ball down low and let him go to work. I mean, like you said, it took him a while to miss his first shot in this game. So obviously he's the guy you can rely upon to, to put the ball in the hoop. Yeah, and, and I'd make a case. I, I've always been high on Trey Alexander, both yes, yeah. and recently. And, and I think in the tournament, they were missing Nemhart and Kalkbrenner, and he made a very solid claim that mm-hmm. he, he can be the guy. So I think this is a good thing. I always yeah. favor guards. And Creighton, you know, they get slept on with Texas, Baylor, Houston, North Carolina, mm-hmm. best backwards in the country. And Creighton's right up there. And I think they made a claim for that for the world to see. Absolutely. I, w- I want to talk about Arkansas a little bit too. Uh, and specifically, I want to talk about Anthony Black because Anthony Black looked absolutely awesome in this game. Uh, 26 points, 10 of 18 from the field, uh, six boards, six assists, just really well-balanced uh, attack from him. He looked phenomenal on the defensive end of the floor, hunts his own shot, uh, obviously playing without Nick Smith, who's expected to be you know potentially the third overall pick in the draft or a high level, one of the best freshmen in the entire country for Arkansas to A, keep this game competitive and, and very close to pulling out a victory without one of their best players is, is certainly something to behold. But uh, what did this game tell you more about Anthony black or about Arkansas in general? It, it told me that Arkansas is really dangerous, which mm-hmm. I, I think I knew, but I, I didn't quite grasp that they could be this dangerous without Nick black. I thought yeah. once he comes back, now they have more scoring options. I was dubious that they could score well mm-hmm. enough early in the season. I thought there'd be some growing pains as, as players adjusted to their roles and it would be amplified by Nick Smith being out and then mm-hmm. kind of grabbing a role that would certainly be a dominant one. That said, I learned that, that Anthony black is certainly capable of running the show that he's a better draft prospect for someone who, who does the draft or locked on NBA big board. Yeah. I, I had my concerns about Anthony black, namely his jump shot and mm-hmm. how he's able to create in terms of athleticism against the top tier athletes. While Creighton is a very good basketball team, I won't say they're backwards full of top tier athletes, but that right. said, he, he certainly eradicated my, my overarching concerns. 
And he, the way he's able to put pressure on a defense and Arkansas is able to attack off of closeouts and get out and run. And they've got super, superb athletes that finish mm-hmm. above the rim. Uh, and I think as the season goes along, they'll get better defensively. Obviously, they lost Jalen Williams, who was the heartbeat of their defense last year. And mm-hmm. I think once they get better on defense, this is a team that's going to really compete. Um, and, and I don't think that's a surprise for those of us who follow college basketball. They, they made the Elite Eight two years in a row. Yep. But but uh, but I do think the speed at which they're getting better is, is alarming for college basketball as a whole mm-hmm. because last two years they've, they've struggled both of the years, found their identity late, and then cruised through March Madness. This year they had higher expectations, but their best player, according to paper, Nick Smith, isn't playing. And you'd expect yeah. them to take a larger role into, oh, man, they must be struggling. But mm-hmm. I almost came out more impressed by them than Creighton, even though Creighton won, and I and yeah. I bet on Creighton. So that, that says a lot about Nick Smith and his ability to mm-hmm. um, conduct the ship for Arkansas. Well, I think that's a really nice segue, Leaf, into talking about some of the par- prospects that we've seen early in the season. It's not even Thanksgiving yet, or it's Thanksgiving as many people are listening to this. And so there's still so much season left to be had. But there are certainly some players whose stock has risen, whose stock has potentially dropped. And I want to explore that with you in the second segment. But before we do that, I want to tell you all about Bet Online. College basketball and the NBA are back in action, and college football and the NFL remain in the thick of their seasons. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all of your betting needs and sports information. From all the latest odds, contests, and player props, you name it, BetOnline remains the best spot for all the latest sports developments, including podcasts and reviews for all of the leagues this season. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering information needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino games. They even have lines for coaching changes across every major sport, so even in the offseason, you can get your fix. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, still talking here with Leaf Tulin of Locked On NBA Big Board. Very excited, Leaf, to get your thoughts on a couple of players who have perhaps bumped their draft stock, perhaps lowered their draft stock. Again, it's an always a constant ebb and flow in this situation, and ultimately draft stocks are often determined after the season and with performances either in March Madness or, of course, at the NBA Combine. But certainly we've seen some players who have kind of uh, surprised us a little bit in some good and bad ways. I want to start with you uh, and talk about a player that you have seen so far this season who's maybe boosted their draft stock from where you had them at the start of the year. I think the main one is Anthony Black, as we were talking about. So I'll, I'll briefly touch on him and kind of branch out there so we don't we don't harp on him too much. But yeah. Anthony Black's concerns yeah. were his jump shot and, and his athleticism mm-hmm. in the half court. And both of those he passed with flying colors. Jump shot, he, he hit four threes over over two games in in the, in, uh, in Maui. Mm-hmm. I, I wanted to say the Maui gym, but I, I think it's the Maui gym again. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah. Um, so it, but anyway, Anthony Black is facilitating the pressure he puts on a defense is really impressive. And that that mm-hmm. for someone who studies the draft, you, you sometimes wonder what can a player do to improve his stock? That is that is something that will be translatable to an NBA court. Well, what he mm-hmm. does, he puts pressure on a defense that makes you collapse and you kick out for threes. And with NBA shooting, that's a huge asset. The other thing is he's six, eight. He's got positional size. He's. He's huge and he uses his size to his advantage. He's good in the half court and he's good in the full and uh, in the transition game. And defensively, he competes. Sometimes you get players that are taller and they they're good offensively using their size. I mean, the best example of this is Luka Doncic. Obviously, mm-hmm. I'm not saying Anthony Black is close to Luka Doncic, but mm-hmm. he uses his size offensively. Doesn't use his size defensively very well. 
Mm-hmm. And I think Anthony Black uses his tools defensively very well. So he'd be the first person that I, I feel like I would be um, neglecting my, my responsibility of, of, of saying who has improved their stock the most based yeah. on these tournaments. Mm-hmm. For, for me, uh, a, I, I almost put down Anthony Black, and I'm kind of glad I didn't because I didn't want us to, to be talking about the same guy, especially since we already talked about him. But it, it's, a, it's a really nice uh, development that we've seen from him with uh, some of that defensive versatility and, and offensive game. And and the, the player I want to talk about is is a little bit similar in the sense that defensive versatility is kind of really what has stood out for him. And that's uh, Jairus Walker from the Houston Cougars. And of course he was already a player that was being talked about really highly coming into the draft. Uh, there are some places that have him as a top five potential pick uh, certainly in the lottery conversation now, but again, six foot eight forward uh, kind of a Swiss army knife defensively can block shots, can, uh, can play defense away from the rim. Uh, we've seen the offensive game show up in a big way too. Uh, a, a solid outside shooter, efficient around the rim, uh, good, good rebounder, all of that stuff. We saw a fun Euro step move from him in that Texas Southern game. Uh, Houston hasn't played a ton of elite level competition yet. Uh, and so that is something to keep an eye on with him. Uh, you mentioned Creighton maybe doesn't have the most elite guards, but that's still a better opponent for Anthony Black to have faced than, than what Houston faced Oregon and, and Kalel Ware, but, you know, have, haven't really faced a huge competition yet. So I'll be curious to see what Walker looks like as they get into some more of their, uh, their tougher competition, either non-conference or even some of the tougher teams they'll face in conference. But uh, Walker's a guy who's really impressed me so far this season. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I had I had two guys in the positive that are trending positive. It was Anthony Black and Jarius Walker, and then, then I've nice. got a one for the negative. Yeah, and, I, and I'll, I'll, we already talked a little bit about Arthur Kaluma, so I'll state mm. that I think he needs to work heavily on his shot and his shot creation. Jordan Walsh really gave him trouble. He dribbled so much to get very little. Um, mm-hmm. I think he's almost kind of the odd man out. But to give one that's not Creighton and Arkansas-centric, yeah. um, and this is a bit of a surprise, someone that could still be a top-ten pick. But I've been a little – little disappointed in the play of Keontae George so far. Granted, yeah. it's been very good competition, but I feel like in, in a sense, he's a bit of the odd man out in the backcourt in Waco because uh, Adam Flagler may be the best shooter in college basketball. I'm, I'm, I've been pumping that train for a little while. Yeah. Um, and then LJ Cryer certainly isn't far back and they, they've kind of alternated who's the lead guard. And Keontae George is almost playing like a, a tertiary guard role, even though he, his best ability is to score the ball. So mm-hmm. I think time he's going to improve his stock but if we're going just to kind of instant reaction off of little tournaments and and that was probably the best tournament um the continental tire one with virginia winning yeah. it over illinois baylor and ucla playing in a consolation game yeah. but, but that's an elite comp competition so it's hard to be a freshman but you know what that's what we that's our job to, to kind of make snap reactions mm-hmm. on well he's playing as good a competition as you can play he had reese beekman guarding him and he's an nba caliber defender easily and i think you can make a case that tiger campbell and and uh and clark for ucla are, are mm-hmm. borderline nba defenders and, and he you could see uncomfortability for keontae george playing off the ball as much as he was his shot is going to be good but he, he looks a little rusty and he's got he's been a little rigid attacking the rim handling the pressure of collegiate guards so mm-hmm. the minor stock down on keontae george for me yeah, I, I, I'm with you on that, too. And I had my the helium for me, at least, about Keontae George was really high coming into the season. So him not quite meeting the expectations that I had feels OK because they were really high. But uh, he's, he's still got a lot of season to go. But I, I, I'm with you on some of those early season struggles. Uh, the guy that I mentioned, I, I touched on him very briefly uh, when talking about Walker is Kalel Ware from Oregon. And, and again, maybe a guy that I was a little too high on coming into the season. And he, has, he hasn't been awful, necessarily. Uh, Oregon themselves have 
haven't played very well, and that has probably hurt his reputation uh, a little bit. He just hasn't been a, a really a go-to scorer for them. They've relied more on Nefali Dante uh, in the post. They've relied a little bit more on Will Richardson. And and looking at, at Ware's numbers so far, he basically has had one very good game, and it was against Montana State. Seven for 12 from the field in that one, two of three from deep, which is really nice. For the rest of the season against Florida A&M, UC Irvine, and Houston, if you combine those games, I think he's three of eleven from the field. He's one of five from deep. Like he just he hasn't done much in those games. He was a, basically a non-factor against Houston. Really, the only quality program that Oregon has played so far. And to be clear, Houston is an elite defensive team and, and a, a challenging matchup for anybody. But for where to not really step up in a significant way in that game, uh, he had eight points in the season opener against AM, missed most of his shots. Like he's just, I think he's a bit more of a project and you can see the shot blocking skill. You can see the outside shooting skill. You can see why there's some appeal in a player who's seven feet tall, who can do the stuff that he can do. But I'm not quite sure that, that all the pieces have been put together yet. And, and Oregon, quite frankly, has had a reputation of, of getting some very high-level recruits that haven't quite reached that. You know, Defali Dante was a high-level recruit. Bol Bol has, has played very well in the NBA lately, but, you know, it took some time for him to kind of be that level of player. And, and Ware just gives me a little bit of similar vibes, and so far the early returns haven't been fantastic for him. He'll get some good opportunities as Oregon, you know, certainly in the PK-85 against UConn uh, and as they get into Pac-12 play. But uh, for right now, the early returns are not great for me on Kelly Ware. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I, I think he's in a similar boat, uh, but maybe even a worse worse off boat than a guy like Keontae George or Arthur Kaluma because mm-hmm. they, they're playing second fiddle, third fiddle mm-hmm. uh, to, to players in their same position group. Right. And 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 Folly Dante appears to have taken that leap. Against Houston, mm-hmm. he make an argument he was the best player on that court, right. including Jarese Walker, including Mark Sasser, Tremont mm-hmm. Mark, uh, all these guys. And and I would I would say that was a strong contention he was the best player on the court. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's hard for Chloe Ware to play his true position when the player ahead of him is a highly regarded center in his own regard. Mm-hmm. And they've tried to embrace like jumbo, like they, they're playing three bigs, like Nate Biddle is seven feet tall. Yeah. Gary played the, like, basically the five on defense for Syracuse. Mm-hmm. I guess he played the four cause they had Merrick Dolajai, but, mm-hmm. but he was bigger than Merrick Dolajai. Long story short, they're huge. So he's having to embrace responsibilities that are hard for an 18 year old freshman to do. Sure. But I, that was someone I had tempered expectations for. I guess I was uh, a little bit on the lower end of the spectrum mm-hmm. coming into the season, but I still would say overall his stock watches is, is down because he's such a project and he was regarded as one coming in, mm-hmm. but it's just worse now because of the fact that there's these expectations and he's got a log jam at position. Yep. And, and it's, it's just a difficult situation. There's always a couple of players like that. And, and there's plenty more on good teams that are behind quality players that are veterans. Well, Leif, I want to transition uh, for the final part of the show to talk about some of the games coming up. There are, gosh, so many, so many games that we could talk about, that we could pick, that we could kind of discuss. Uh, what I want to do here is a segment we're going to continue uh, to move forward with on a Locked On College Basketball podcast called Upset Watch. We're going to look at a couple of games that are coming up in the next two, three, four days uh, that we think have the potential for there to be an upset. Uh, we haven't clearly defined upset. It doesn't necessarily have to be a top 25 team losing to uh, a team of a certain caliber, just any game where we think that the team not favored could end up winning. Uh, obviously, this season has been 
incredibly difficult to predict. Uh, I have watched a lot of Colorado basketball. I cannot imagine expecting their season to have gone the way that it has with some of the wins and some of the losses that they have incurred already this season. Uh, but I did look at a few games uh, here that I think could potentially have the potential for some upsets. Uh, before we get into some of mine, I'm curious if there's a game or a couple games that that you are looking at coming up, Leaf, that, that you think might uh, have the have a result different than what the expectations are. Yeah, it's it, it's an interesting one because a lot of the potential matchups have yet to be set because they're in mm-hmm. tournaments. Mm-hmm. Um, so so I'll put that out there for those of you listening that we don't know all the matchups. One that's caught my eye a little bit in the PK eighty five is is yeah. that uh, is Purdue and West Virginia. Yeah, I don't think West Virginia is a great team this year. They're not t- like a typical Huggins team, but mm-hmm. Purdue is really having some transitions. Um, they, they've had Jaden Ivey. They've had Travion Williams as kind of their focal points of their offense. Now they have Zach Eady, and he's a beast, seven four two ninety, and he's actually pretty mobile. Like he's going to be a load to deal with. But their guard play is, is questionable. Their mm-hmm. wing play is questionable. And if any team can expose that, that's West Virginia when they become Press Virginia. And I think Bob Huggins will orchestrate that becoming it and push the pace and make Eady less of a factor than he typically would be. So mm-hmm. would, would I bet on that game? I'm not sure. But I, but I, I think that's a, that's a pretty good uh, upset spot for a program that's, that's kind of in the, in a, in a down year, uh, and yeah. it's been in a down year for West Virginia. I tell you what, uh, Gonzaga fans would love to get a chance to play West Virginia in that one. Clearly, Purdue would, is probably the better team in terms of helping their resume. Uh, but Bob Huggins has said some not so nice things about Gonzaga and how they would be shocked joining the Big 12. And uh, Gonzaga fans always love playing Bob Huggins. They've defeated him in the NCAA tournament before. And so I think that would be a really fun uh, Friday evening matchup to potentially get. Although uh, certainly Gonzaga and Purdue, Edie versus Timmy, would be a pretty fun one, too. Um, the upset that I had on my calendar uh, is the number 15 ranked Auburn Tigers playing St. Louis Billikens. That game is scheduled on the 27th at noon Pacific time. Uh, again, I think this is just the kind of team. St. Louis is a good team. They already have wins over Providence. They have wins over Maryland or excuse me, Memphis. They got beat by Maryland. So they've proven that they uh, they can drop some games, too. But Yuri Collins is just a really, really tough player. 15 points, 10 assists per game. He's, he's one of the best passers in all of college basketball. Uh, St. Louis has a top 15 offense in the country per Ken Palm. Uh, I think Auburn is very good, and Auburn has proven that even with the losses of Jabari Smith and Walker Kessler, they're still a team that's going to be a force to be reckoned with in the SEC. Uh, Wendell Green is is fantastic. He's been really good to start the season. Uh, Jonai Broom is a very good player as well, 12-9 and nine for him. Uh, early on in the season. I'm not a huge Katie Johnson fan. I think he's he's shown some some turnover to issues in the past, and I think that St. Louis, with their high-octane offense and with a couple already good wins under their belt, I think they have the opportunity to pull off a pretty big win here, take down a top-15 team in Auburn, and potentially position themselves uh, to be at least a team under consideration for a top-25 spot heading into December. Yeah, I like that one. Yuri Collins uh, is, you know, some t- upsets in March Madness are often classified as, do you have the best guards and yeah. can you hit threes? Well, they can do both, so yep. they've got a chance. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've got a few more that I wouldn't qualify as, as enormous upsets, but they're the lower seed winning, and this is because PK85 is as such top-heavy teams. Yeah. Um, I think Oregon could beat UConn. They've got the yeah. length to, to disrupt UConn's number 20 in the country right now, and Oregon's unranked. Mm-hmm. Um, they've got the length to make it hard on Adama Sanogo. Andre mm-hmm. Jackson's coming back from injury. Jordan Hawkins is coming back from injury. So two of their best three players aren't fully right. And the rest are fairly unproven. And, and Folly Dante is as good a matchup as you can create for Adama Sanogo. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, Florida, I think, can beat Xavier. Xavier is the higher-ranked team in Ken Palm and was just ranked in, uh, in the AP poll as of last week. And Bama, I think, will beat Michigan State, though Michigan State's playing really hard. Yeah. Alabama's got the pace and the scoring ability that I think will be difficult to overcome for Michigan State. That best attribute is, is a great one. It, it's, it's determination and, mm-hmm. and tenacity, but it, it's hard to get stops when you're playing at the breakneck speed that Alabama's going to play, especially with a player like Brandon Miller, who I think is going to be a freshman All-American. Absolutely. It's funny. The, the Alabama Michigan State game wouldn't be considered an upset like a week ago. Uh, but now because of that hot start to the season that Michigan State has had, uh, it does look like it. that's going to be a really fun game. I think for me, like those two teams are, are both very, very good. Uh, Michigan State has has played extraordinary to start the season. Mati Sissoko has looked just outstanding for Tom Izzo early in the year. Uh, but that's yeah, that's going to be a really interesting matchup based on those two teams strengths. Uh, for me, the next game that I wanted to talk about is coming up uh, in a couple of days. That is the Clemson versus Iowa game. Again, Iowa is 25th. They're barely ranked uh, in the top 25. Clemson is a very quality uh, power five program. So it doesn't feel like a tremendous upset necessarily, but uh, I could see Clemson pulling that one off. They're just a balanced team. They're a good offensive team and a decent defensive team. Uh, they don't really have any big wins yet. They haven't been super tested, which is part of the you know, can they rise to the challenge and beat a, a good Hawkeyes team? They lost to South Carolina. Uh, the rest of their wins are are not anything to write home about necessarily. Uh, I was a good team, but they're not a great team defensively. And I think Clemson has the ability to potentially do some damage. Chase Hunter has been a, an elite uh, scorer so far this season. Hunter Tyson has been a monster on the boards, uh, just about 10 rebounds per game for him. Uh, this is a team that can shoot it can really shoot a shooting 39% from deep so far on the season for Clemson. Uh, and I think that if they come into this game, if Hunter has a good game, if they shoot the rock, well, if Iowa struggles a bit defensively, uh, I could see them picking up a nice victory here. Yeah. I was an interesting team because when they get hot, they're very difficult to yeah. beat. If they ever go cold, they're, they're susceptible. Yeah. So I liked, I liked that pick. And, and then I, I listed a couple. So I'll, I'll read, I'll read the, the rationales, I guess, for, for the, the ones we talked about Michigan state and Alabama. Mm-hmm. I briefly talked about Oregon and, and UConn, but the one that I didn't mention was Florida and Xavier. Um, Florida has probably the best big in that game, despite Xavier having two very good mm-hmm. all-conference caliber bigs in, in, in the Big East, in Zach mm-hmm. Fremantle and Jack Nungy. Colin Castleton's the best big on that, t- on that mm-hmm. court. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've got elite athleticism and Alex Fudge on the wings. I, I really am a huge believer in Todd Golden. I think when he was at San Francisco, he was one of the best coaches in the country and no one knew about him. Uh, you probably did as a, as a West Coast Conference yeah. guy. But, yeah. Uh, this is this is a long been a guy that I think has been deserving of a promotion. Mm-hmm. And at Florida, I think he's got them trending in the right direction. They also have veteran guards. It's mm-hmm. just acclimating to new teammates, I think, is the big thing for Florida. They fell they fell in the in Kempom and in like deep AP polls that weren't like ranked, but they were, you know, considered on the fringe because they dropped one game. But I think their their quality is far better than what people have seen so far. And so I think this is an opportunity for a statement win and something kind of to to get a catapulting or or just become a catalyst for an impressive season for Florida because the SEC is really good, but there's no team other than you know Kentucky, Arkansas that mm-hmm. that like that and maybe Tennessee that really scares you like a ton. And yeah. I think there's four through eight is wide open the SEC, and I think Florida's got a really good claim that mm-hmm. no one really has has spoken about so far. So that's mm-hmm. one I wanted to analyze a little bit and it was not a huge upset but and I'm, I'm fully willing to admit that but it's one that i think that xavier certainly will be favored in the game yeah 
Absolutely. Leaf, thank you so much for coming on the show today. That is going to do it for us. Happy Thanksgiving to those of you out there listening on the holiday. So many great basketball games coming your way. So excited for us to get the opportunity to continue to give you reactions to those games, previews, upsets, all of that stuff going forward. Check out the show wherever you already get podcasts. Go find it on YouTube and hit that subscribe button. Enjoy the holiday. Enjoy all of the MTEs this week.